We're in Acts chapter 16 today. We're going to continue in our study, and actually we're going to be looking at the commencement of the, um, of the second missionary journey. In order to do that, we need to go back to the end of chapter 15, where we were last week. As I mentioned last week, there were many things that we had to leave out, and over the course of this week, I had to try to determine if I was going to go back and look at some of those things or just go forward, and I've decided to just kind of move forward, and as you um, go through your own personal study of the Word of God, you'll be able to pull out some of those things which, you, uh, which we left behind last week. We were, are going to touch on one thing this morning from the passage that we're going to read at the end of, of chapter 15, and then we'll go on. Now, much as Before we read this passage, much has transpired now from the beginning of the book of Acts until the point where we are right now. I mean, a tremendous shaking has taken place in Judaism, if you will. A tremendous shaking has taken place that has shaken it to its very core in the sense that their Messiah came and they rejected him and crucified him, and now great changes are beginning to take place, and a whole new dispensation, as it were, is beginning. And with that beginning, there, there was a, a, a lot of change, and in a lot of change, there's always challenges that come with change. And so we are beginning to see some of those challenges that came to the early church in its formation, in its birth. We have seen already in the, in the book of Acts, we've seen the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom they thought they had done away with, whom they had crucified, who they buried in the grave, and now he had come back to life again, causing fright at night to many. And he has risen and now he's before his disciples and he again challenges his disciples before he ascends up into heaven and they see him go into heaven. And then those disciples, you remember, go back to an upper room and they're there meeting. And I think in their their lives we're seeing a great deal of fear of the unknown of things that are not yet known. How are things going to happen? How are things going to transpire? We are going to wait until the coming of the Spirit of God. And then we see that tremendous event at at Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit of God and how that transforms these men who were a bit fearful into men of bold countenance who were going out and preaching Christ. And we're seeing multitudes being saved on the day of Pentecost. And then as you're moving forward, we're seeing miracles that are taking place. We see a lame man who is raised from the dead. And God, again, is confirming the message that was coming forth from these early disciples. We see the disciples with with those who have now come to know Christ as Savior, sharing all things in common as the concern and love for one another amongst these little closed communities was beginning to spread and to grow. And then, of course, we remember, we remember Stephen. And we remember the martyrdom of Stephen. And how after the martyrdom of Stephen, they were spread out. People went in sh- out of fear of all that was going on. The Lord took and scattered men and women throughout different parts of the world around near 
in, an, in outside of uh, the main area of Jerusalem and scattered them out. And the gospel went out with them. And the gospel began to spread. And then you remember also in those early years, the uh, early days of the, uh, that, that this Ethiopian eunuch was saved. And he took the gospel down into Africa. Things are beginning to change. And then we saw, as we moved forward from there, we saw Peter and the vision that God gave to Peter and how that Peter went. Well, actually, before that, we have, the, we have the conversion of Saul, right? We have Saul who's breathing out threatenings against the early church and going in and, and taking them captive. And, and we see him there at the, at the killing of Stephen. And we see the great change that takes place on the Damascus road and how God takes this man and makes him a vessel for his honor. And then we see the gospel going out from Peter to Cornelius after seeing that sheet coming down out of heaven and God declaring to him that what I declare to be clean, don't you declare to be unclean. And he goes into this God-fearer's home and brings the gospel to this God-fearing man. And he and his household are saved. And we see the wonderful things of the gospel moving forward, the wonderful events of the early time of the church moving forward. And then we see, of course, we have that time of the first missionary journey when Paul and Barnabas, and you remember how that account begins because that is important to what we want to look at to start our time this morning. If you look in chapter 13 when that event took place, when we go back to chapter 13, it says the, they were praying, they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And you have this leading of the Spirit of God coming into a situation in Antioch where here is Paul and Barnabas, and they're all ministering the Word of God. They are ministering to one another. They're taking care of the needs of one another, ministering unto God, and the Spirit of God Himself speaks out and tells them to separate Paul and Barnabas unto the work that I have called them. And immediately they go out onto that first missionary journey. Go out sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you've seen the events that took place and the persecution that they faced during that time. And now they come back from that, and you remember that they had the stirring that we looked at last week, where there was some who came down from Jerusalem who were telling, who was t who were telling the church at Antioch and others that in order to be saved, you must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. And we remember from last week's lesson how that the council at Jerusalem had declared, no, that was not the case. For the Gentiles, there was no need for them to be circumcised to be saved. There was no need to follow the law of Moses, but by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they were saved. And then they gave them those few things that they would have honored. And we looked at that last week, and we're not going to go back to that again this morning. Now we begin on this second missionary journey. So a lot has transpired in this account. A lot has transpired till we get up to this point. In verse 36, then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they were doing. And then we remember the conflict that we talked about last week in verses 37 through 39, where the contention became so great that Barnabas and Paul separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark and went with him, and Paul took Silas. Paul chose Silas, it says in verse 40, and departed, being committed. Uh, Commended by the brethren to the grace of God. 
there are some things that are omitted here. And we recognize, don't we, as we are students of the Word of God, that we recognize that the Word of God is God-breathed. It is the inspired Word of God. We sometimes wish there were a lot more details involved as we study so we could have clarity of thought in many of these circumstances that we want to know and want to have answers to. Nowhere here... In this beginning of this second missionary journey, do we hear the Spirit of God said, Paul, take Silas and go. Barnabas, take Mark and go. But we see a human conflict that takes place, a butting of heads that takes place, and they separate from one another. The Spirit of God, as we, as we read through the, through the Word of God, especially in, in the New Testament portions and we read through the epistles, he, he, His desire is to unify the church and not divide it. Right? There were enough people coming in dividing, seeking to divide the church. He wants to see the church unified. And yet here we have two brothers, dear brothers, and now separating from one another. And we don't read... That does not mean, because we don't read, that there wasn't some work of the Spirit of God here. For certainly God blessed the ministry, but oftentimes, even when we make mistakes, even when we are foolish, even when we don't seek the counsel of God, God will bless His Word as it goes out. Thank God for that, huh? Because we are all kind of hard-headed people. And, you know, as you read the history of the Brethren movement, of which we are a part here, Brethren Small B movement, oh, my brothers and sisters, there have been more butting aheads and more separations and more divisions than you can shake a stick at. But God is blessed. By His grace, He is blessed. Thank God for the grace of God that not only saved us from our sin, but the grace of God that preserves us as we move forward with all of our mistakes and all of our baggage. He works with us and he works through us by his grace. Paul chooses, never mentions whether the Spirit of God had a, had a part in this choice or not. But it says, God, I mean, Paul chose Silas and they went. Oftentimes, I should not say oftentimes, all the time, our lives are to be lives that are lived by faith. Right? Even in the midst of our mistakes, we must learn to live by faith. You know, we read the stories of the Old Testament. And in these Old Testament stories, we see these tremendous events that take place. Wonderful stories that take place. But between all of those miraculous and wonderful stories, there are years of just simply walking by faith. Not seeing, but just simply walking by faith. Much of our time, and we'll look at this as we move forward, much of our time as pilgrims in this world is simply walking by faith, even when we haven't had clear direction. Right? I am one and you can disagree with me in this because it's more of an opinion, I think, than anything. I am one that 
as we move forward here, we're going to see something. But I, as one, am an individual who does not necessarily believe that God calls men and women the same way he did when you heard a when you heard a voice that came from God and directed them like you see in, some, in many of the portions of the New Testament. Does God still speak to the heart of men and women? Absolutely. Does God still move in the heart of men and women? Absolutely. But a call like you see in the New Testament to his work is not the same any longer. And, and, and I think if we go through the New Testament, you'll see that that is true. And we'll see that hopefully later on this morning. So now they're moving out. They're beginning this, this move, and you have, have uh, Barnabas and, and uh, Mark going one way, and you have Paul and Silas going another. And then we begin with the commencement of the second missionary journey. So let's read from verse 1 of chapter 16. Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go with them or with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. So we look at this and we say, uh, wait a second. Wasn't the whole thing of, of chapter 15 that you didn't need circumcision? Well, what's the deal, Paul? All of a sudden, you know, you're, you're talking like, uh, well, we're, and we're going to deliver these decrees to all these churches. We're going to go all the churches and say, listen, circumcision isn't necessary to be saved. Circumcision isn't needed. You don't have to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. Those principles carry on, and there certainly are there principles that we need to follow. But what is up, Paul? You take Timothy, and you want to take Timothy with you. His, his father's a Greek, his mother's a Jew, and in order to take him with you, you have him circumcised? I, I think the explanation, you hear different explanations of this, but I think the explanation, in my mind, I always think, think rather simply, in my mind, it is, is a simple explanation. Timothy was not being circumcised in order to be saved, was he? Paul wasn't teaching here anything contradictory to what he had been teaching right along. It wasn't necessary for Timothy to be circumcised to be saved. He already saved he already was a man of, of of good repute among the brethren they had heard him they had heard him speak and in these three areas these three cities where they knew him he was seen as a man a good man a solid man a solid believer who happened to be half jewish now paul wants to take him along on the missionary journey and he says oh, let's circumcise him first why well you remember you remember in, I'll probably get the reference wrong, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about, to the Jew I become a Jew, to the Gentile as a Gentile, to the weak as those who are weak, to those who are under the law as under the law, to those not under the law as not under the law. I become all things to all men that I might win some. 
And the idea is, I'm taking Timothy with me, and we're going to be going into Jewish areas. We're going to be going into Jewish synagogues. We're going to be going into different places where it is going to be important that he be recognized, not because he was circumcised in order to be saved, but that he would be accepted among the Jewish community in which we're going to be reaching out. He became a Jew for the Jews. You understand what I'm saying? in order that the gospel might go forward without offense, without problem, he had him circumcised. Now, there are others who would not have circumcised. Why? Because it would be a contradictory statement. But here, it fits perfectly into the narrative of what he wants to do. So he took him with him, and he had him circumcised because they were going to be going into these areas where they would enter into the synagogues generally and they would bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now you move through and they, they started going on their journey. And we get to verse 6. And when they had gone through Pergia in the region of Galatia, these are, again, regions, not necessarily cities in those regions, but they're regions. And as they're going through these areas, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. They were forbidden. This is one of those interesting things. You know, he talks about going back and visiting the churches, right? He was going to go back and visit the churches, and he's done that to encourage them. And we spoke a little bit about that last week, how, how in my, our case as, as missionaries, this was something that you did all the time. You always went back and visited churches they were where you had been before in order to see them encouraged. And that's a wonderful thing to do. And, and it's very similar accounts that have happened to me in my own missionary experience as we've just read about. There was a man called, a man that I, I've known for, for many, many years. His name was Ed Penifield. Ed Penifield, when I first met Ed, he wasn't a believer. But he was very much in love very much in love from the time he was a young man with the girl that worked with us. And she would not have anything to do with him because he was an unbeliever. She would not have anything to do with him. She would, and although she loved him too, she did. And to make a long story short, we came home, we came home on furlough in 1990, 1991, and while we were home, Joy which was the name of the girl in our home, Joy stumbled and fell. And she ended up pregnant by this man, Ed Penifee. Now, that was a hard thing. It was a hard thing. And she immediately got married, and they immediately had a ceremony, and they had a wedding, and she got married, and she gave birth to, to their first child. And... Uh, in the course of that whole thing, Ed made a profession of faith in Christ. Now we can say, because we've all seen these circumstances before, and whenever I hear this, I'm always very doubtful. I always am very doubtful. When you have an unbeliever, and you have a believing woman and an unbelieving man, and just before they get married, all of a sudden he becomes a believer. Oh, that's wonderful. He's a believer now, so we, they can be married. And after they're married, there's no evidence that it was ever real to begin with. I've seen it many, many times. I got back. Ed moved into our home along with Joy and their baby. And I watched Ed grow. Ed would go with me everywhere I went. Every Bible study that I ever taught, Ed was with me. We went from 
We'd go to one Bible study on one end of, of the province in, in the morning and drive all the way to the other end in the evening, and Ed would go with me. And Ed began to grow in the things of the Lord. Ed began to become strong in the things of the Lord. And to, again, to make it this long story short, because it goes through many uh, opportunities to disciple with this man while we rode in the car and all everything we did, and we started a new work. There was a new work down in the place called Riverside. We would go down to Riverside. He would come with me, and we saw a new work begin there. A new church was formed down in Riverside, and Ed would be with me every week. And today... That place is called Hillcrest because they moved out of the river up to the top of the hill. And now they renamed the church Hillcrest and it sits at the top of the hill. And Ed Penafiel is an elder, a preaching and teaching elder in that assembly today. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, nothing warms my heart more than to think of those stories of what God does in transforming a life. He was a Timothy to me. Not that I was a Paul, but you understand what I mean. He was a Timothy to me. He was with me everywhere, every step of the way, to the point where people in the, in the churches were calling him Ken's bodyguard. Because <laughs> everywhere I went, Ed would be with me. Ah, there's, there's something just really special about those memories. But as we move forward here in this account, they try to bring the gospel to, to an area of Asia, which would be have been called Asia by the Romans. And as they go there, the Spirit of God forbade them. How did he do that? Did you ever wonder about that? It doesn't really tell us specifically how he did it. Did it come in a voice at night? Did it come in a voice at night? Did it somebody, somebody say, no, don't go there? Did it come out of, we're not told. We're certainly told that when he wanted them to go someplace, how he gave them the vision. But here it's not told us. And then you go on to the very next verse. And then when they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit would not permit them again. How does that happen? Well, I can explain. I can, I can share my own personal experience in that regard over the years. In fact, when we went back to the Philippines in 2007, the goal that my wife and I had going back to the Philippines in 2007 was to go up to to Baguio in the, in the mountains, and from Baguio to move up about 10 hours, 6 to 10 hours further north, depending on how the road was, that's why it's 6 to 10 hours, up into a very remote village called Sagada, way up in Mountain Province, in order to start a work, to see a work started up in that area. And that was our desire. And you pray about these things, and you pray about these things, and, you, and you're seeking the Lord's guidance, and it appeared as though this is what the Lord would, would have us to do. I can remember... When, I, when the Lord was first revealing to my heart, and I'm sorry, I'm staring, sharing a lot of stories, but that's okay. When the Lord was first sharing this stuff to my heart, I'm, I'm walking around the grounds of CMML, which I love to do. I love to walk around those grounds and pray. And I'm walking around the grounds of CMML, and I'm praying to the Lord about, about where he would have us to serve when we go back because I had been sharing in many assemblies had, as I had gone around showing the slides of the work and what was going on in the work, that there was nothing going on up in the mountains up in this area of Sagada and pray that the Lord would lead someone up into the mountains, that the Lord would open up someone's heart to go to the mountains. And as I'm walking around CMML that day, it's as if the Lord said to my heart, why not you? Why not you? Why don't you go? You keep telling, you know, there's openings up there. There's a real need for the gospel to go. Why don't you go? And you know what I mean when I say the Lord spoke to my heart regarding this. And I was, I, and frankly, I was, I was frightened by it. Frightened by it. 
It's rugged being up there. I've been up there many times before, and I've been up there since. It's a rugged area to be in. And it's a dangerous area to be in. And so I, I said to the Lord, Lord, if indeed you want me up to move up into the mountains and go up into that area, then you will have to reveal it to me. You'll have to make it very clear to me. And I went in, I went into to the CMML. And I sat down, opened up my Bible to my regular reading of the day. And the first verse I read was out of Haggai, and it said, go up to the mountains. <laughs> uh, no, no joke, you know. And I don't handle the Word of God that way. I, I, that's not the way I do it. But it was clear to me that, okay, go up to the mountains and build a place for me. And so... We began setting, and actually, I never told Joyce this. This was a very bad thing. And the next time I had a missionary meeting, I was sharing with people, and I shared with them how the Lord was beginning to lead me up to Sagada, and that was the first time she heard it. Not good. Don't do that. <laughs> and I said, and afterwards, after the message, I said, so Joyce, how was the message today? She said, I didn't hear another word after you said we're going to Sagada. <laughs> But now to get to these verses and a practical application in our own lives, we got to the Philippines, and ahead of schedule, six months ahead of when we had planned, we were up in Baguio now. And you know, the Lord, getting back to this idea of the call and how the Lord calls individuals speaking to the hearts, and you, you, it's a very different thing now than it was before. The Lord is gracious, very, God, Lord's always gracious, but sometimes he, he gives you evidence of the reality of what he's called. And when we got up to Baguio in that transition time from Manila up to Baguio, which is going to be that stepping point up to Sagada, I come into the meeting, and some of you have heard this story before, and if you have, that's okay, you know, you can hear it again. But I got up to Baguio, and we were coming to meet with the church up there for the very first time. We'd been there many times over the years. Yeah, when we'd go up to the city, we'd, I'd have opportunities to speak there. Joyce's dad would have opportunities to speak there. So we come, into, we come up to Baguio. We're coming into the church that morning, into the uh, assembly building that morning, and, and Winnie Mata meets me at the door. Now, Winnie Mata is another one of those guys from the lowlands that I discipled for well, I taught for several years down in the lowlands. Now he was up here working for the Lord full time and in, uh, an elder in this meeting. I thought they knew we were coming. They had no idea we were coming. And when I met Winnie at the door, he said, Kuya, which means big brother, Kuya, what are you doing here? And I said, we feel like the Lord has led us to come up here and to help in the work. And uh, he started getting tears in his eyes and he started rolling down his cheeks. He never said anything else about it. That Wednesday, we went back for, well, actually, we went into me the meeting that day, and they read our letters of accommodation. Everybody's clapping in the, in the meeting, which was kind of an odd experience for us. We came back on the Wednesday night, and on the Wednesday night, on their prayer, they have a board that they write prayer requests and, and praises on. And on the praise side, it was the Lord's answered prayer with Kuya Ken and Aunt Joyce coming up. And I inquired about it. I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, we've been praying for months that the Lord would send up someone to teach us. And when you showed up at the door, we knew <laughs> it was an answer to our prayer. So, it's like, so the Lord confirms things. And that's a beautiful thing when he does that. 
but how he forbade them from going up. Our goal was to go up to Sagada. We felt confident that it was to go to Sagada. Did you notice in the portion that I read and what I shared with you, the Lord said, I want you to go up to the mountains. He didn't necessarily say Sagada, and Sagada was on our mind, but it wasn't the plan of the Lord for us, as we were to find out. How does the Lord stop things? He has his ways. We took our first trip up to Sagada in order to uh, spend time there, and we got up into Sagada. That would mean learning a whole new language. We were already l- beginning to learn Ilocano. We already knew Tagalog. We were learning Ilocano. And as we were up in the mountains and we were starting to learn Ilocano, we go into the village of Sagada. We go down and visit these guys, uh, the Op-Opids, who, had, who Mike Smits in the years past had worked with, and we went down and talked to them. Is there any need for some Bible teaching? Oh, we'd love to have it. We'd love to have it. And we, and we went and visited another one. Oh, we could have a Bible study in her home. We had all this stuff arranged. We went back, back, and we started to go up back up again, and we went up a second time, and we were exploring around the second time. And after that, the next time we tried to go up, typhoons came through. We weren't able to go. We tried to go up again, another typhoon. Every time we planned a trip, a typhoon would come through. And then... I had my heart issues. And when I had my heart issues, my cardiologist said, you're not going anywhere. You cannot go out of the city. You cannot take that mountain trail up there. If you get up there, there's no place for you up there until we get you squared away. And over the course of those years, working on me, trying to get me back, the Lord kept closing the door to Sagada. But you know what? We've come to realize That may have been our desire, but it wasn't the Lord's. He needed us where we were in Bagno, and he used us there to train and equip the saints who were there, and we don't regret it one bit. Sometimes the Lord will put circumstances in the way in order to say no. Sometimes the Lord has other plans that we don't know about. You remember, if you go to 1 Peter and you read in the beginning of 1 Peter, it talks about churches that were in Bithynia, And in these areas that is mentioned here where the Lord forbade them to go, the Lord said, I don't need you there, Paul. I've got others that are going there. I've got someone else that's going there. The gospel's going to go there, Paul. I'm going to bring the gospel there, but I'm not going to use you to do it. I've got other plans. And certainly he brought others in, and and Peter makes clear reference to that when you look at at first Peter, the gospel had gone in and churches had been established in Bithynia. Bithynia is a region, of course, of that area, not, not a not a city or a town, just that region of Bithynia, the gospel had gone up. So sometimes the Lord will change, will appear to change our plans when all along he has purposes behind which we do not see. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay. You know, at first I became very, very discouraged about it, like I wasn't fulfilling what the Lord wanted me to do in getting up to Sagada until I had time Enough time to let it sink in that, no, this is where I've wanted you. This is where I've wanted you. And I used Sagada to get you here to Baguio. Because <laughs> you wouldn't have gone to Baguio otherwise. And so um, he gives us those gracious, gracious things. And now we get to this vision that Paul is given. Now, they were... They were blocked from going up to these areas. They were blocked from going into Asia. They were blocked from going into Bithynia. And so they're still moving around. Now they're moving around this area of of Mysia. And they come down to Troas, which is where the seaport would be. And 
Paul receives a vision. A man from Macedonia stood, it says in verse 9, and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And he has a vision. Talking with young people at a couple of conferences over the course of the last year, and this whole idea of the call comes up very often. How do I know that I'm being called of the Lord? How do I know that there's a call coming? And explaining this to, to elders within the assemblies, that how, how it becomes a very subjective thing after a while. And we need to be very careful that these things don't become subjective things, you know? But, but I would dare say, and I may be absolutely wrong, but I, may, I, I would dare to say that if a young man came to the elders of this assembly next week and said, I had a vision, and a guy came, right in, stood in my presence and said, come over to China and help us. Please help us. You need to commend me to the work. You would probably say, mm, hold on a minute here. What do you mean you had a vision? Well, I had a vision. I had a great dream, and, and there was a guy. He looked Chinese to me, and so because he looked Chinese and he had a, a little Chinese accent, I believe the Lord is calling me to go to China. And you would say, well, well, we don't want to discourage you. You see what I'm saying? Because we don't get those kind of visions and dreams anymore to direct our call. It can be very subjective. Sometimes, and we need to guard against those kind of things. So come over to China and help us. I know a guy from the assembly in Belmar, and some of you may know him too, and he wouldn't mind me saying this, Mike DeLeon. If Mike DeLeon had responded to every single time a missionary came in, he would have been in six countries already. Because every time a missionary would come in and share about a, a place of service, he would say, that's where the Lord's calling me there. I'm going to go there. He'd get with his elders. I'm going to go there and serve the Lord. And they'd say, well, just hold up a little bit. And the next missionary would come in. Oh, no, the Lord wants me to go here. He wants me to go here. And, uh, well, hold off a little bit. Oh, where am I? But eventually it came all to fruition because there was a man who really had a desire to yield his life to the Lord for service. And the Lord opened a door for him to Jamaica. And he's in Jamaica now. I saw a picture of him on Facebook the other day speaking to 400 kids in a high school in Jamaica. It's like, praise God. But he would have gone to 10 other countries before that. So we need to always check our hearts. We need to always be in prayer. I remember when we... I'm sorry, I'm sharing too many stories today, but they're all flooding back into my mind. I remember the very first time going to ask the, or the first time going to the elders at Hiawasa Bible Chapel to ask them about commending us to the work in the Philippines. We had been praying for 13 years that the Lord would open up a door for us to go to the Philippines. We'd pray and pray and pray, and it just seemed like the Lord wasn't opening doors for us. And I, I was getting kind of discouraged about the whole thing, and I, I went before the Lord one day, as I'd done many, many times, and I just looked up to the Lord and said, Lord, we've been praying about the thir for 13 years about going to the Philippines, and you've never opened the door. You've never allowed the door to be open. Maybe you don't want us in the Philippines. Maybe you want us somewhere else in the world. Wherever you want us to be, Lord, we are willing to go. And I'd said that before, but this time I meant it with my heart, and I knew the difference. I got with one of the elders from Hiawasa a short time after that, and I said I had something to share with him, and he sat down with him, and he said, what's on your mind, Ken? And after all our small talk, I said, we feel like the Lord is leading us to the work in the Philippines. 
I'll never forget the words that came out of his mouth. He said, we as elders have known that for a long time. We were waiting for you to come. How wonderful. Godly elders who have been praying and praying and praying, not revealing to us, and then when it was time. Ah, the Lord is so good. The Lord is so good. So good. So, he gets this vision. And look in verse 10. He says, now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Now, this was clear leading of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was leading definitely, definitively. This is where you need to be. But you notice something in this verse. It says that we immediately sought, we immediately started to plan, we immediately started to move toward Macedonia, concluding, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach. Now, what does that mean? Based on what they had experienced, based on the sense they were feeling that the Lord would have them to go to Macedonia, they got together and they talked and they conferred and they prayed and they came to the conclusion that, yes, this is where we need to go. It wasn't just a, wasn't just a uh, haphazard kind of movement for them. They concluded this is what the Lord would have us to do. And then they walked by faith. They moved out by faith to go now into Macedonia where they believed the Lord had called them. And it says, Therefore, setting sail from Troas, we were in a straight course to Samothrace. Now, that's an interesting place. And it's interesting that, that nothing happens there. They're there overnight, and then they move on from there on, uh, on their next leg. This place was a... This little island, this is a little island. You know, Thrace is, a, is another region in, in Greece. Somothrace, I don't know how to pronounce it. You can correct me later on, and then I won't remember anyway. It's a little island that is off the coast. And in, on that island, there was a temple, and it was a very prestigious place where men and women would go to worship. And you notice something very interesting. Paul doesn't stay there and preach the gospel, does he? Well, at least we don't hear of it. We don't read of it. We don't read it that he did any preaching of the gospel there in this place where, this, where there was great need. Just because there's great need someplace doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord is calling you to fill it. You know? We recognize that, don't we? There is great need everywhere. Using the example of Mike DeLeon, just because there's great need in seven different countries doesn't mean the Lord's calling you to all of them. But it's like I've said to many people over the years, the Lord wants us to be faithful to what he has called us to. You know, we talk about a man like Billy Graham over the years and, and the ministry of Billy Graham and the ministry of others like him who have had such an impact. And we say, well, his reward will be great one day. You know what I believe? I believe that if you've been faithful in the little that he has given you to do, your reward will be equal to that. All he was doing was being faithful to what God had given him to do. The Lord is looking for faithfulness. Not every one of us is called to be a Billy Graham. Not every one of us is called to be a Billy Sunday. Not every one of us is called to, 
to be that kind of ministry leader. But where has the Lord called you? What has the Lord called you to do? If we're faithful there, there is reward for faithful service. Small or large, faithful to what the Lord has asked you to do. And so he bypasses this. He comes to Neapolis, and he bypasses Neapolis. Nothing says anything. They, they, the next day they went. From there they went on to Philippi. Now, this is an important city in that part of Macedonia. And, we, uh, and it says, and we were staying in that city for some days. Now, they were in the city. They came early, and they had several days there before Anything was going to happen. They're just looking around. They're traveling around the city, watching things, seeing things. They're in a very different cultural area now. We won't go there. They were in a very different area. And they're inquiring about where is the synagogue? Where, where, do the, where are the Jews here? Where, where can we meet with them? Because that was Paul's way, wasn't it? He always went into the synagogue and he preached the gospel in the synagogue. And then when they rejected it, he went out to the, to the Gentile as well. And God had now called him to the Gentile, and he's looking for the synagogue, and there isn't any. There must not have been enough Jewish men in the town to have a quorum to, have, to set up any kind of a meeting. But they, he said, but there are some Jewish women there, some faithful women. They go down to the riverside to play, pray on the Sabbath day. Why don't you go down on the Sabbath day to the river, and there you'll find them. And so sure enough, that's what Paul and Silas, we assume, went with him, and they went down to the riverside. And you see, my brothers and sisters, the providence of God. You see the providence of God? <laughs> he didn't stay in Sumatres. He didn't stay in, uh, you know, my mind is not what it used to be. He didn't stay when he came to, um, where's the, the town? He didn't stay in Neapolis. He moved right on, and the Lord brings him up here because he has a woman in Philippi that needs to be saved. <laughs> He has a woman in Philippi that needs to be saved. And guess what? He has a jailer, a guy who's taking care of the jail that needs to be saved. And he brings him right up to Philippi. He brings him right down to the riverside where his prayer was customarily made. And they sat down to pray. And there they met the women. And here was a certain woman named Lydia who heard him. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Oh, what a wonderful statement. What a wonderful statement. This is a woman from Thyatira. She was a seller of purple. She was a businesswoman. And she was in this area doing her business. How long was she going to be there? We don't know. How long did she stay there? We don't know. Was she in, in and out? In the course of her business dealings, perhaps. But God saw fit that she was there right on the day when Paul was going to come down by the riverside. Right on the day when she could hear the gospel and be saved. Coincidence. No. A God incident. He brought him there right at that moment. And this woman, Lydia, was saved. And she and her household were saved. All the, and the idea of that being not only children, perhaps, but, but slaves or, or people within her home that lived and worked there were saved. And she's begged them, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house. So they came and they stayed in the house. Now, I know my time is gone. And I can tell that. I don't even have to, I don't even have to look at my watch. I can tell that by looking at people. 
my time is gone. But I want to just make one more point, and, and I promise I'll, I shouldn't promise things I can't deliver. I'm going, to <laughs> I'm going to try and make this very brief. And we're talking again about the providence of God. You remember what happened? They had this slave, little slave girl that was coming around behind Paul. And she was creating a nuisance. These are men. These are men of God. They've come to preach to you the word of God. Listen to them. Here. And she's going around making a nuisance. And Paul finally turns around, casts the spirit out of her. And as a result, they have that. They are arrested. I'm cutting the story, story short because I told you I would. They are, they are arrested and they're put into prison, right? In the providence of God, they're put into prison. And you notice, did you notice, I'm sure you did because you're students of the word, did you notice Paul never says anything about being a Roman citizen at the beginning? When they're arresting him and putting him in chains and going to throw him in the prison, he says, wait, wait, I'm a Roman citizen, I have rights here. Nothing was said of that, was there? Nothing was said. He was thrown into the prison. Right? What's it say? The multitude rose up against them and they laid stripes on them. They beat them. None, none, nothing said of we are Roman citizens. You can't whip us. We have rights. That's what we'd say as American citizens. You know, as soon as you get caught doing something wrong, you know, we'd, we have rights. Paul didn't say anything about his rights, did he? He didn't say anything about his rights. Could he have? Yes. Should he have? Yes. <laughs> but God held him because there was a man in that prison that needed Christ and was ready. And we remember what happens. <laughs> We remember the great earthquake. We remember the foundation shaking. We remember that all the, the, the prisoners, they were afraid all the prisoners were going to escape. And the, and the jailer draws his sword to kill himself. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, wait a second, we're all here. And he falls down, what? Sir, what must I do to be saved? Now, we can interpret that a lot of different ways. We're not going to get into that. But he says, sir, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And the man is saved. And he takes care of Paul. And he takes care of him and cleans their wounds. And he brings them to their, ho to their home. And his family is, hears the gospel. And all of this takes place by the providence of God. And then the jailers come the next day to release them. And he says, uh-uh, no, 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 no. Now he claims his rights. We're Roman citizens. Uh-oh. Uh We're in trouble now. Uh-oh, what are we going to do? You call the magistrates down here themselves. You make them come down here themselves. You're just going to not let us out of here. And so, of course, that's what happens. And they come down. And they plead with them to leave the city. And so Paul promptly leaves the city. No, he doesn't. He goes right back to, to the house, doesn't he? Because now he has the right to be there. No one can challenge him. And he goes back and he encourages. And then they leave. He goes back. He brought him back into his household. And and they went to visit with Lydia and they entered the household of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and then they departed on their own terms. How very different this story is <laughs> at the end. Anyway, I promised you I would stop and so I will.
Father, we give you thanks for the wonderful stories that you have chosen to give to us through this narrative. I, we understand, Lord, that many, many other things surely transpired in between all of these verses and all of these journeys, but yet these are the things that you wanted us to see. You wanted us to see how that your spirit can close doors and open doors how your spirit and your province can lead on if we are faithful followers to a woman like Lydia, to a jailer who needs to hear the gospel. Oh, Father, may we be open vessels. May we be those who are willing to be used for your glory and for your honor. May we be walking by faith every day of our lives, recognizing that whether we have a vision or whether we have a dream or any such things, we can walk and live by faith in you remain faithful always. And so, Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.